Hi, and welcome to Visual Friends Podcast, conversations about all things visualization with Masters of the Pen. My name is Natalia. I'm a content manager for Visual Friends, and I'll be your host today. In this episode, we are talking about something that's relevant to anyone out there who wants to succeed, courage. In the field of visualization, courage is something that you have to exercise every time you visualize for others, especially in the area of graphic recording. Our next guest did greatly and ended up scribing for Brene Brown herself, which I think is a fantastic story. But before we share it, just a couple of announcements to let you know about our classes for the rest of the year. We're wrapping up, so we just have a few sessions left in Brisbane on the 5th and 6th of December, in Sydney on the 9th and 10th of December, in Melbourne on the 12th and 13th, and the last session in Picabla Fundamentals is in Auckland this year on the 16th and 17th of December. And you'll find all the information on our website, visualfriends.com. And now, with this out of the way, I'm really excited to welcome to the mic a talented graphics scribe, an illustrator and visual facilitator who have come to Melbourne from South Africa a few years back and already has made waves in the community with her incredible images. So welcome, Alice Eddy. I feel like we need a drum roll. <laughs> oh, what an amazing intro. Thanks, Natalia. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I can't wait to hear more about this story, how you scribed for Brené Brown. And when I heard about it and you didn't advertise it much, you seem like a very modest and lovely person. I was so intrigued and I wanted to know all the details and I specifically didn't ask you before so we can save all the delicious details for the podcast. <laughs> Do tell me how it came about and how did you end up scribing for Brené Brown? Okay, so first, yeah, thank you for that intro. So the Brené Brown thing, the whole thing was pretty surreal and I mean, I'm not like someone who gets particularly like fangirl about people, but Brene Brown was definitely someone who I've respected for really, really long. And I think I'd just seen advertising around Melbourne and I saw that she was coming and I'd had a look and the tickets were quite expensive and I was kind of in two minds about it. And then eventually when I, I sort of gave it some thoughts and I was like, no, I've got to be there. Like I'm, I'm doing this. I've got to be there. By the time I decided that the tickets were sold out and I was like, oh damn, I missed it. Mm. And then I about it and I was like wait a second like what we do works completely like hand in hand with exactly this kind of event and I was just like you know what I'm going to take a deep breath and I found the company that was bringing her through and and like putting her on stage or whatever in Australia and I literally just sent out like a proper like cold call email and I was just like hi I'm Alice <laughs> this is what I do this is why I think it would add value I'd love to be there but here's some examples of work and we just started the conversation from there and it really was like it sounds it sounds really obvious but mm -hmm. I think that a lot of us forget that we can play quite an active role in chasing the kind of work that we want like I know a lot of creatives and freelancers take quite a lot of pride in the fact that we work a lot from referrals, which I think is amazing as well, because it's obviously clients kind of putting a testament to our work, but we forget that there's also like another side where we can like actively steer things in our direction. And it's crazy how receptive people are when you just put up your hand and you're like, hi, <laughs> can I draw some pictures for you? <laughs> <laughs> that's a very important point. And that's something perhaps we don't think about especially I think if you're starting your career and you perhaps don't feel confident and there is a lot of fear because it's such a public space, public work. Tell me more about 
how it went. I understand you were not scribing in front of the audience. You were in a separate room. And how did you prepare for this? How do you prepare for scribing for Bernie Brown? It was the best preparing because, I mean, it was it's the kind of content or the kind of podcasts or audiobooks that I listen to a lot in my own life anyway. So it was like getting to do what I would be doing regardless, but now it counts as homework. <laughs> so it, it was a really nice excuse to just double down into Brene's kind of into her work. So I wasn't in the main room. Basically, because I had gotten on board right at the end of the conference, and they'd already got this whole thing set up and there's like 5,000 people in the Melbourne Convention Center. But what they had was on the side, like what they called a VIP room, which was I think about 300 people sort of like members. So they said, okay, cool. We'll set up a stage in there and there'll be streaming content in and people will be coming in and out kind of during the day, which was really awesome. But I think probably the part of it that I was, that for me was the most meaningful was like at the end of the day, so people came in and then they left to go back to the final part of the presentations. And I realized that I was going to finish the piece I didn't think anyone was going to come back in there because they were going to finish in the main room with the speaker, obviously. So I kind of finished drawing it. And then I was sort of like, it was this weird sort of anti-climax in a way, because <laughs> I'd like worked so hard and done all the stuff and prepared and gotten it finished in real time. And then like, as I was about to pack up one of the delegates, it was like one woman came all the way back upstairs and she was like, I just wanted to see what the artwork looked like when it was finished. And it kind of gave me this little boost of hope. And I just turned to her and I was like, listen, can you do me a favor? And and she helped me. We picked up the easels and I'd seen that there was going to be like a VIP signing at the other side of the convention center. And we just ran together. (laughs) I didn't ask anyone permission. I didn't get a sign off from anyone. I was like, this is where Brene Brown's going to be. This is where the people getting the signings are going to be. And I was like, it's just happening. Like we're doing this. And this total stranger (laughs) helped me carry the boards. And we just set them up outside. And I was like, listen, the work's been done. It was done as an act of like service for these people. So at least they'll see it on their way in and out. And then I kind of just left it there and I went to pack up my stuff and I was leaving. And as I was leaving, I saw this blonde woman in the distance walking with two security guards towards the (laughs) I was like, there was that moment where I was like, oh my God, am I about to run through the convention center? (laughs) Second time. (laughs) (laughs) And I just bolted and eventually caught up. And it was just as she was entering the the signing and she was looking at the graphic and I got to meet her and have a hug. And it was the most beautiful ending to this kind of quite surreal day. Oh, wow. You got to have a hug with Brené Brown. (laughs) That's how it paid off. (laughs) <laughs> she it was so lovely like she just really is she's got that beautiful energy of someone who just like her job is empowering other people I mean in the very few moments that we were interacting 90% of that was her empowering me or asking how my day had been and asking how my experience of it and I'm like my god you're Brene Brown like why are we talking about me or my work or my drawing <laughs> she didn't I mean, I think that's really like, that's why she is the kind of figure that she is, right? And the leader that she is, is Mm, loved by all. Mm, Totally, totally. Did she have any comments about your work? Yeah, she did. She was very, very positive about it. It was very special. You can hear the the smile on my face, right? (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. And we'll share the image that I've seen of you and Brene next to your work. And you do have the biggest smile on your face. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was very special. It was very, very, I mean, but it's also the kind of content that is exactly so empowering to scribe because the whole time you're drawing, you're also listening to someone say, you know, take a chance and be brave and put your work up there. So it's definitely the biggest job I've ever done. But weirdly enough, it was not the most stressful because the whole time I was drawing, I have the speaker telling me to like, be brave and be vulnerable and do your best. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm here doing exactly that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's very inspiring story. And, you know, kudos to you for taking the chance and taking the risk. And the more I hear about it, it sounds like you exercise courage, not once when you email the company, but, you know, by actually running with your finished work to the signing area and then by going and meeting Brenna Brown and, and talking to her. So would you consider yourself a courageous person who actively fights fear and does what's important, even though it's scary? I love that question, Natalia. Thank you. It's, I would say that I'm often quite an afraid person. It's something that I've come to understand with age is that that's like a very necessary part of being courageous. And I think I spent the first sort of 25 years of my life sort of living in that fear. I'm 32 now. So I think it was about my mid twenties where I'd almost like I considered myself quite an afraid person and I lived into that. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know why or how, but the penny kind of dropped and I realized that like you can't be brave without being scared. And that the thing that I thought disqualified me from being a bold person was like exactly the thing that made it important. So I now, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Courageous is, it sounds like such a big word, but yeah, I do. I, I very actively and intentionally put myself in uncomfortable places quite often. I kind of do this thing where like my, either my mouth or my hand, I'll like, <laughs> my hand up my my mouth signs me up for things all the time and the rest of my body is just like no don't not at all that's a terrible what are you doing yeah literally I feel like I sometimes like I'm watching myself in third person and I'm like you're not that person you can't do that and I'm like well it's too late because (laughs) you've committed and you have to do it and that's always fine like it really Mm. is it might not be always exactly as you thought it was gonna play out but it is always fine I've seen you scribe for Heather Martinez at Wisconsin this year, and, and she was a very big act. I mean, international speaker and lettering guru, her closing keynote, and you had to do it on the board in front of everyone, which I think is, it seems like it's a scary thing to do than doing it on the iPad. I don't know. seems like you maybe can fix your mistakes and computers are very helpful, whereas the whiteboard USA is just you in front of people. In fact, I think you were more visible than Heather. So that was another situation where you had to exercise courage and put your hand up. Isn't it right? That was exactly. And like, I was way more nervous doing Heather's talk than I was doing Brene Brown's. Just purely, I think, because the work that she does, which is that amazing lettering, and she works in our industry, and it was in front of so many incredibly talented graphic recorders and scribes that I have so much respect for. So there was something weirdly, there was something quite intimidating by that, yeah. But it, but at the other hand, it kind of is just also recognizing that a lot of that's just in your head as well, because also that is the most of every crowd to scribe in front of. I mean, every graphic recorder there has been in that position and and knows how kind of scary it can be Mm. and is 
almost the most generous and forgiving audience as well. So, you know, it's so interesting. Like this is all in our heads. <laughs> I always look back at these pictures afterwards and like, yeah, they never quite pan out the way you think they're going to, but it always ends up like they work somehow. But like on the day, it really depends on the day and your headspace and, and how you show up, but you can make it. It can either be terrifying or fun and it kind of just depends how you wake up that morning. But yeah, Heather was a great example. Sorry, back to your point. Heather was a great example of that was also something, again, I volunteered for. And I think it's also important to say because it is, you know, to the vulnerability thing, like to admit, yeah, I put up my hands for both of these things. Like no one came to me with these amazing opportunities and they weren't like, Alice, wonderful Alice, please grace us with your drawings. No one did that. No one did that and no one will do that. Like, you know, and it feels audacious in the moment because on some level, putting your hand up is like you backing yourself and being like, hi, can I do this thing? I think I can do it. Like, I think I'm, Mm -hmm. I think I'm good enough at this to pull it off. And that's really scary because if you fail, you have this whole story in your head of like, oh my God, how embarrassing will it be if I put up my hand to scribe Heather and she's this typography legend and, and I have to do letters in front of Heather. Yeah. Yeah. And oh my God, like it'd be one thing if someone had asked me, but no one asked me. I, I just put myself there, but you know, but also that that's how things happen. What do you do to help yourself fight through the fear and prepare emotionally, suppose, on the day? And what advice can you give to our listeners who are starting out on who struggle with fear, perhaps to get to the next stage of their career and leave their comfort zone and dare greatly and do better? There are a few things. I would say I remember doing a workshop with Kelvy Bird in Melbourne about a year ago. She's yeah another incredible visual practitioner and she introduced us to a process where she had us just kind of take a moment before drawing in front of the paper and kind of connect to the ground, like feel the ground beneath your feet, feel the sky above you, feel the room around you and the people that are in the room and then feel the paper and just kind of like, I'll often just quietly, <laughs> it might sound like a bit, I don't know, woo-woo out there, but I'll, I'll like often take a moment to like just before I start drawing where I'll like just touch the paper and kind of just like have that moment where I'm just like, okay, it's here in a really sort of basic sense like we're humans we're mark making animals we've been making marks on cave walls or pieces Mm. of paper since forever and I just kind of just take a moment I'm like that's all that this is like I'm just part of a very long tradition of people making marks and that's a really for me I find like a very quieting important moment just before the chaos of the the job starts Mm. Um, I love it I love it it's such an interesting mini story in itself you're right it reminds us that we're all human and we're all here and it it seems like you're following your purpose and you're doing what you're meant to do and what you love doing and what you're good at because I've seen your work and it's incredible and you make it look so easy how did you come to be in this moment scribing for Brené Brown and for Heather Martinez tell us a little bit about your visualization journey because you were not born in Australia, you come from overseas. So that probably would also make it more difficult to showcase yeah. work in a different country. So I've been in Australia for nearly two years now. My partner and I moved, we've moved from Cape Town. And I was quite anxious. I'd been working as a visual practitioner or graphic recorder in Cape Town for, for sort of five years. And I'd been in commercial illustration for five years before that. 
and I'd been freelancing the whole time. So I had kind of 10 years worth of a network there. And I was, of course, super, super anxious about how is it going to work coming to Australia? What if my work is not up to the standard of the work here? What if there's like a network or a community of people here that have been working together for ages and they don't want me? Like it was scary and there was a lot that I was worried about. I mean, there's, uh, there's so many things I can speak about here, but uh, the kind of two main points were firstly, I, I was really lucky arriving into the community of graphic recorders in Australia. There is the most just warm and welcoming community of practitioners here. And something I'll never forget was I'd followed, you know, Jessamie G from Thinking Colour? Of course. I mean, of course, right? So I had followed Jessamie's work for probably four years before getting here, three or four years since Uvas in Berlin, basically. And I'd always just really had so much respect for her style and the way she executes stuff and it's it's just always so gorgeous so I'd obviously like followed her from South Africa moved to Australia I knew that she was here and this is an example of not courage because I I followed her on Instagram and I was I kept being like next week I'm gonna I'll just message her and see you next week next week and I, and I could never quite bring myself to do it yeah so anyway sorry so about a month maybe two months into being in Melbourne I get this direct message from Jessamie and it was just so beautiful she was like hey I saw on your Instagram profile, you live in Melbourne. Why don't I know you? Let's go for a drink. <laughs> that was it. That was it. And I was, just, I was like, what? And we went for a coffee and she was just so warm and generous and welcoming. And we sat, we had, yeah, like a coffee together. By the time I'd gotten home, I had two emails from her introducing me to other clients that she worked with, like longstanding clients who sometimes use a lot of graphic recorders. And she was like, hey, this is Alice. She's new in town, you know, like put her on your books if you ever want to get in touch, which was incredible. And then like a day later, I had another email from her just with some more kind of like industry specific local stuff, some names about the scribes and graphic recorders, just a whole lot of content that I would have never had access to, or that would have taken me years and years and years to like slowly become part of this industry. And she just, she gave it without being asked, just coming from her heart out of, yeah. It was, mm, mm. I, I burst into tears when her second email came. I just like, I opened it and I was just in tears looking at my phone and I was like, wow. Oh, that sounds so lovely. That sounds really yeah. lovely. Do you think it helped you develop your courage further coming to Australia and having to reestablish yourself again? Yes. Actually, thank you for asking that. That was the second point in my mind that I then lost. So yes, that was going to be my other point is I think, I think all the things that I was afraid of coming here like I didn't have a choice. I was like, okay, cool. So you can be scared, but also no one here, like you're going to have to build a life one way or another. So you kind of have to start stretching out of that comfort zone and you have to put yourself out there. And I mean, Natalia, you're also not from Australia originally, and I'm sure that you can maybe relate to like, definitely. Yeah. Like every conversation feels like a job interview on some level. Like people, you know, are trying to work out where you fit into things, what your vibe is, are you going to be friends? Are you not going to be friends? Like, it, you know, and it, it can be really exhausting and, and really rewarding, but it kind of felt like boot camp, like courage boot camp. Mm-hmm. Australian, <laughs> Australian um, visualization boot camp for Ellis. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I remember at some point just laughing. Uh, I was watching, you know, there'll be like those cheesy motivational posters where they'll be like, courage is what happens outside of your comfort zone. And there was about like a year and a half and I was like, I just want my comfort zone. <laughs> 
<laughs> done. I just wanted a comfort zone for a while. <laughs> no, fair enough. Sometimes you have to retrieve to your comfort zone and recover. So I want to ask you, you've been in this business for, you know, 10 years back home and now two years here, but I would imagine you still get nervous and sometimes you probably still make mistakes. So what are your tips on failing publicly? What do you do? Oh, I love this question so much. Uh, so many things. I fail, I think like most people, often, daily, hourly. So for me, that's so baked into what I love about graphic recording because there's obviously the aspect of the job that's about serving other people and that's really important and meaningful. But there's also, for me, got to be a part that I feel like serves me as well and where sort of I grow from. The failing part, I think, is where I get that. So like the way that I try to think of it is I try use each job as a bit of a meditation on failure. It's also why I like working in pen with no pencil. It is like a meditation practice. Like there's no way you go through a job not messing up. There's like two options. You either then fixate on your mistake and how you've totally screwed up and how it's all a disaster now. And oh my God, it's so embarrassing and everyone's watching. Mm -hmm. And that is totally paralyzing. And you can't, you learn really quickly that that's just not useful and it doesn't fix it. If feeling terrible fixed the mistake, there would at least be a case to be made for beating yourself up. And then I'd be like, well, fine, maybe it's worth it sometimes. But like, there hasn't been a single time that berating myself in my head has ever solved the issue on the canvas. So I kind of do this thing where I'm like, okay, cool. We're going to put that in a box and on the train, on the way home or in the Uber, you open that box and you can tell yourself what an idiot you are and how you screwed it up and how you can't draw and how you're like, I'm like, okay, it's fine. It's, <laughs> it's not going away, but we'll keep it for later. But right now we just need to like deal with the situation. And it's kind of just like, okay, cool. So plan B. And, and I think that's often where the really fun creative practice comes in is like solving those problems creatively because often, you know, the content's not my content. So like, that's not particularly where I get to be creative, but like I've made a massive mess up and I need to like kind of really quickly jimmy it into something that works. Like that's where I've got to really quickly problem solve. And that's a fun, that's fun for our brains. That's a very creative and like, that's very stimulating. And then the irony is by the time you've done that, and then you're in the train on the way home and you're like, okay, I'll take out the shame box now. Like now we can play. And, and then you notice like there's not that much in there. You're actually like, okay, we survived. <laughs> you can do this. Mm, I think it's a very mature approach. It's definitely very interesting for me to hear. And I think the topics that we cover today, they're relevant to any profession, not just visualization. And I really like the way you prepare for your work and how you deal with failure and mistakes and how you unpack it all. And yeah, I think that's a very, very interesting story. And, and you are very interesting, actually, Alice. I want to ask you, how do you keep up your craft? How do you continue to improve and grow when you're not perhaps working with a client? What do you do outside? Where do you find inspiration? So I have a few. There's kind of the very practical side of it where I do invest in books on drawing, which I think is something that people don't think about because it's almost so obvious. I think people just think that some people can draw and others can't. And that's like, that would be like being like, oh, well, some people can drive a car and others can't, you know, it's, 
it's like, yeah, I can, I can draw because I've like spent a lot of time doing it, but also because I practice doing it. So mm. I'll, I'm quite a nerd and I often, you know, I follow like different cartoonists and illustrators online and I'll try every now and then order books. And, you know, those really basic books where you literally have like how to draw a cat and it's like a circle and then mm. it's a circle with two triangle ears. And then, you know, I, I love that stuff. I loved those books when I was a kid and I, I love seeing how images get deconstructed into shapes and, and that kind of thing. So I do spend time like actively practicing drawing and lettering as well. Obviously someone like Heather Martinez, who you mentioned earlier, has amazing resources as well for any kind of lettering stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I also, I don't know, I also think it's really important, like everything is your work, right? Because everything filters into everything. So (laughs) I'm like, I'm a big believer in, if I'm not booked on a day, like go to the NGV, the National Gallery of Victoria and look at art there or go see like a weird film or even honestly, I'm a big believer in like coffee with friends. Like if I'm not booked on a job with a client, almost every day that I'm in my studio, I'll phone a friend and go for coffee or have lunch and just talk. And those things, those conversations shape you and they shape the way you think. And like everything is the work, right? So mm, everything is the work. I love it. I love it, Elise. I love that catchphrase. I think my mom just thinks that's my excuse. I think my parents think I'm, <laughs> they firstly don't believe that I'm employed. I don't think that they really <laughs> fully understand it. But secondly, uh, it's the kind of thing that like my mom would just roll her eyes. I'd be like, I'm off for a coffee now. Everything is the work. <laughs> She's like, oh God, <laughs> it's not. Are you getting paid for that coffee? No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, guess, guess where that leads me. Here we are talking in the podcast. So before we wrap up, I just got one last question for you. Now that you've scribed for Brene Brown, what are your next courageous goals? I don't even know. Who would you want to work for now? What would you like to achieve? So it's something that I think is very courageous, but is almost in the opposite direction, is I've taken the next sort of three months off. And that is one of the scariest things that I've done in my career. I realized about a month ago, like I've had a really, really great year. The last two years in Australia have, have been incredible, but they've also been a lot. And I was pretty much sort of heading into a bit of a burnout. I just kind of just realized I was like, I like need, I just need to stop <laughs> for a while. So yeah, I've taken off until the beginning of February next year and just going to take time to kind of focus on, I mean, I'll still be doing some, I mean, <laughs> I'll still be working. I'm always working, right? Uh, more sort of the business strategy side of things, looking into invoicing, quoting a lot of the structural things that are not my strong points and that have often kind of caught me up and created issues and bottlenecks. Yeah. So like taking the time to focus on that stuff, because it's hard when you're a freelancer to separate what you're able to bill for and what is unbillable work, but is still needed in order for all of this to happen and your life to happen. And that active, like blocking out three months in my calendar and being like, I'm going to say no to stuff is honestly like even more scary than any job I've ever done. (laughs) I wonder what Brunia Brown would say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Ellis. That sounds like another courageous thing that you're doing. And I really like your approach to your work and to life. And I think we all can learn a lot from this conversation. So I'm going to leave it there. I wish you best of luck in your future career endeavors. And I'm sure 
I'll see you online and face to face and we should grab a coffee one day because <laughs> everything is work. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Natalia. So there you have it. I really found this conversation with Ellis inspiring and I hope you did too. And maybe it will inspire you to do something you're scared of today. Put your hand up to Skype for a meeting or enroll in a course you've been thinking about or just try something new. I think if we don't risk it, we don't win. So if you find this episode useful, we encourage you to share it with your friends. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, give us a rating or leave a comment. And also let us know who you would like to hear on the podcast and what topics interest you. But for now, thank you for listening and I'll see you next time. 